Hey there, and welcome to the Jeff MacArthur Podcast for Friday, October the 2nd. Coming up, we talked to Dr. Michael Gardam about new Ontario COVID-19 restrictions, what this means moving forward in the province. Also, we'll talk to a former U.S. ambassador to Canada, Bruce Heyman, about Donald Trump getting COVID-19 and how that might impact the upcoming U.S. election. Also on the podcast today, John Bon Jovi. So let's get going. And we're back in a very busy Friday. Let's get right to the breaking news of the hour. New restrictions coming to the province, as you just heard last hour here on Global News Radio. Masks will be mandatory at workplaces and while shopping. Test assessment centers starting Tuesday will be by appointment only. That's just a few of the uh, new changes that were uh, ushered in, announced last hour. Let's so welcome in Dr. Michael Gardam, infectious disease physician at Women's College Hospital, who joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto to discuss further. Dr. Gardam, nice to have you back on. Thanks for having me. First off, I want to get to your take on some of the details, but to start, uh, are you concerned that the message when it comes to COVID safety and say and restrictions that are being reintroduced is somewhat confusing. I mean, we're hearing something from the province and we're hearing, you know, other messages from individual uh, cities as well. Is this getting muddled, do you think, for the average person? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. In fact, even sort of uh, preparing for this interview, I was just looking at all the different websites and all the different voices, right? And, uh, you know, you, ha- you have the city of Toronto, which right now is asking the province to be more aggressive. You've got Ontario, then you've got uh, what's happening at the federal level. You've got different provinces. I honestly think it is quite quite confusing for people, and it's always been one of our challenges: is that there's so many messages coming from so different, so many different places, and that's not counting all the online stuff and all the misinformation that's out there on the internet. So it is it is a very very confusing time for people to know what's going on. Yeah, do governments have to get together? Do you think at a federal, provincial, and municipal level? I mean, I just look at the amount of press conferences. I mean, Prime yeah. Minister Trudeau uh, just recently reintroduced his daily uh, brief. So we've got him and we've got Dr. Tam, then we've got uh, Premier Ford with Dr. Williams, and then John Tory and Dr. Davila usually have one later in the afternoon. It's a lot coming out of people. You know, that's always been one of the fundamental challenges with, frankly, Canadians' healthcare, with Canada's healthcare system, is the fact that we've got all the different provinces and the federal government, and you've got, for a public health emergency, you've also got the various cities chiming in. And it is really, really, um, it really is confusing. And so, well, at a high level, I think everybody is harmonized. But when it comes down to how is this going to affect me when I walk out the door today, that could be very confusing for people because it really depends where you live. Yeah, one of the uh, biggest areas of confusion is Thanksgiving, which is fast approaching. I mean, it's uh, next weekend, long weekend, and we know the bubbles have uh, shrunk. And the premier was asked whether or not you shouldn't basically invite your mother over for uh, Thanksgiving. And, of course, no politician uh, wants to tell you, no, don't uh, do that. So there is some confusion, I think, Dr. Gardam, and maybe you can clear this up because I've seen a lot of talk online that people, you know, can't have their immediate family over, just uh, your household family should be inside. Yet you can go to Costco tomorrow and, you know, be in a crowd with hundreds, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of people. Yeah, I mean, that is very confusing, and I can't help but feel like you're right. The politicians don't want to chime in on this one. They kind of want to let let Thanksgiving go by. And my sense is 
we may be getting a lot more aggressive with our public health measures right after Thanksgiving. It, it feels a little bit like what happened in the spring with the March break, right, where we were kind of going along and then suddenly things became really aggressive right in the middle of the March break. I mean, my I can tell you my, my, my personal uh, uh, thoughts about Thanksgiving is I've basically told my family, unless you're living, unless we're living with each other, we need to stick in our own places. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you can go to Costco, you can go outside to go shopping. Every one of those times when you leave your, your house and you go and are around other people, it's a risk. And so one of the ways of thinking about this is how can you decrease the number of risks in, a, in, in, in your day-to-day life? You know, in my mind, it's going to be, you know, really going back to just, you know, going to places if it is, if it is uh, you know, absolutely necessary to buy groceries or things like that. Seeing people at Thanksgiving is not absolutely necessary. I personally am not doing it. And we, because we're, we're still in a period of exponential growth, and I feel that a lot of difficulty is going to be coming to us in the next week or two. And I, for one, don't want to regret that I was out too much this week and then find out that, you know, something happened. I would rather, we're already at a very high rate of COVID. I'm just, you know, largely going back to what I was doing in March. Yeah. How do you battle uh, COVID fatigue and uh, what's going on? Because we've all been living with this for six or seven months now. And I think, you know, some people have obviously let their guard down. They either have COVID fatigue or yeah. they just don't want to live this way uh, any longer. And uh, they've just had uh, enough of it. I mean, how do we get the message across that uh, yeah. this is a second wave and things are, you know, not great right now and maybe are going to get worse? Yeah, it's a really hard one. I mean, because I get asked that all the time. And I say, you know, you got to remember that I'm suffering from COVID fatigue, too. I don't want this to be around either. And, you know, and, and like everybody else, you know, I I hate the fact how much my life has been disrupted by this. And yet I don't have a choice. Like right? This is kind of the, the, the cards that we've been dealt this year. And we're looking at, you know, realistically, roughly another year of some form of control measures, you know, coming on and off. And there really is no way around it. We just have to kind of get get through it. I'm hoping, I mean, it, it sounds awful, but I'm hoping that and if things get worse in the coming weeks, that will become patently obvious to people that this is very serious. I think the summer has allowed people to put, you know, get their guards down because we haven't had a lot of hospitalizations. But those have now been increasing six days in a row and very soon, I fear we're going to be back where we were in March. And I think that will really make people wake up and realize, oh, we're back in this again. We all hate it. I know we hate it, but we're back in it again and we have to follow the rules. Joined by Dr. Michael Gardham at Women's College Hospital. Uh, Dr. Gardham, I think some people were expecting an announcement uh, last hour from the uh, province that maybe we we're going to get a color-coded warning system, much like Quebec has. Uh, the premier was asked about why he's not instituting that. He says he's had conversations with Premier Legault, and uh, he says it's confusing the public. Do you think it confuses the public, or would that help uh, simplify things, as we were mentioning off the top, that uh, there seems to be a lot of confusion about the restrictions? Would that help uh, people understand, uh, do you think, a little better uh, where the hot spots are and what's expected in certain areas? Yeah, I mean, you know, whether you're calling them phases or whether you're calling them colors, I think the concepts are, 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 are relatively the same. I think the part that confuses people is, for example, if you take if you take Toronto, Toronto clearly wants to be more aggressive than the province right now. And that's that's very confusing. I mean, to me as well, because um, 
Toronto may not have the authority to, to do the things that it needs to do. They're relying on the province to do that, and the province doesn't seem to be willing to do that quite at this point yet. That's the part to me that is really, that is really difficult to understand because you're getting these messages saying things are very high risk in Toronto right now, but you, know, you can still do a lot of the things that you would normally do. We're nothing like what we were back in March when we were saying similar messages. And so it, it, is, it is particularly confusing right now. There's no doubt. I also want to ask you about uh, testing, because the other big piece of news coming out of the last hour's press conference is starting Tuesday in the province, testing is by appointment only. Now, the Premier says he doesn't want people with the cold weather coming, standing in long lines uh, outside, which is understandable, and that might take care of that problem. But by appointment only, are our testing numbers going to go down, do you think? Can we still do the same number of tests? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, I mean, right now the number of tests is limited by by actual lab capacity, right? We can swab more people than we can actually test the specimen. And so, you know, integral to any testing strategy has to be to continue to increase the lab capacity. And then, you know, in terms of the, of the you know, waiting for appointments, I mean, what I worried a bit about when I heard that is, well, if I've got symptoms today and I can't get an appointment for a week, how, how exactly is that going to work? And so, you know, we're going to try this and we'll sort of see where it goes. But um, that, again, is something which is, I think, honestly uh, confusing for people, understanding when and where and how they should get uh, tested. I mean, honestly, I work in this field and I spend my days going through the different documents to understand what's going on. So I can imagine somebody who doesn't do this for a living, how incredibly difficult it would be. Yeah, without a doubt, because the message, it seems to have shifted. It's no longer, you know, whoever wants a test can get a test. As you mentioned, you have to have symptoms. And if you can't get an appointment for a while, is there a fear that people might think, well, I'm just going to hope it's a runny nose or sore throat and go to work, uh, go out in public uh, without getting proper testing? Well, that's the worry, right? And and you want to make sure that, I mean, testing is really one of the key cornerstones to any sort of COVID control measures. So we need to make sure that that is readily available for people and that they can get it quickly. If the appointments work, then that's fantastic. I, I just, I worry that they may not work as well. And you have to remember, it was only a week ago that the province announced it was opening up more testing centers. So there is a lot of sort of changing gears on the fly here, and that's the part I think I'm looking forward to this settling down a bit where we get a very clear message going forward. Just finally, uh, Doctor, on this, uh, how do you balance uh, what is public health and people's physical health and their mental health? I mean, does that have to be uh, obviously a priority as well that we have to think about that? And if we go right back into a lockdown mode again and we start closing a number of businesses and people can't, uh, you know, kids can't uh, do their sports and uh, families can't uh, gather, that that also has a significant impact. It absolutely does, and those things are are very important. And I've been always one to advocate trying to literally walk down the center and have enough control measures that we can keep a lid on this and it doesn't boil over, but at the same time, we're not shutting everything down. And, and one of the dangers you get into is that if you drag your feet on modest control measures, you get into a point where you have no choice but to be really aggressive with your control measures. And so that's why people like me and others have been advocating for more aggressive measures even a few weeks ago, but not to the extent of actually shutting everything down. Now I worry that, you know, now that we have the highest numbers we've ever had in the province and they will continue to increase, 
we may have no choice but to shut everything down. And, and that's the part that uh, I find particularly frustrating because you're right. Nobody is tolerating this um, this uh, COVID period well right now. I know I'm not, and I'm sure nobody else is either. Dr. Garden, before I let you go, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about the other big piece of the news regarding uh, COVID today. And that, of course, is that uh, President Trump and the First Lady have uh, tested positive. Uh, Trump is a, a man in his mid-70s. He is technically uh, obese and obviously in the uh, pretty vulnerable group here. He absolutely is. And the other part we don't know, the, the uh, New York Times had a good piece on this this morning, which is we actually don't know uh, the president's medical history really at all. So we don't know if he has a coronary artery disease, for example. We do know he's got high lipids because he's on medication for that. But all those things, I mean, being male over 70, being overweight, maybe having coronary artery disease, those are all significant risk factors. And, you know, he's fortunate at this point that he has mild symptoms. But as we know with COVID-19, you can have mild symptoms for several days and then it can take a real downturn. And so he is by no means out of the woods at this point, just with mild symptoms. Things could certainly uh, could certainly change for him. So the next uh, seven to 10 days, uh, pretty critical. Absolutely. And I'm, the whole world's going to be watching. Without a doubt. Dr. Gardam, really appreciate your time with us on this Friday. Thanks so much. Have a, a safe weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Dr. Michael Gardam is an infectious disease physician at Women's College Hospital. Well, President Trump announcing early this morning on Twitter that he has tested COVID positive. What does this mean for the ongoing American election and the presidency at large? Let's uh, welcome in Bruce Heyman, who is the former U.S. ambassador to Canada. He is also the author of The Art of Diplomacy, Strengthening the Canada-U.S. Relationship in Times of Uncertainty. And he joins us now on Global News Radio. Bruce, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure. All right. As we were just talking with the medical expert uh, before the break, uh, Trump obviously is in a vulnerable category when it comes to uh, COVID. If he ends up hospitalized, much like Boris Johnson did earlier this year over in Britain, the British uh, prime minister, uh, what is the protocol uh, when it comes to that sort of thing there in America? So the protocol when a president is incapacitated is that they turn over authority to the vice president. And so this has not happened very many times um, in our history. Um, clearly, if something tragic happens to a president, which has happened several times in our history, then it's turned over completely to the vice president. But there's some temporary authorities that are given and handed over, as well as the use of the 25th Amendment, which would allow uh, the cabinet to take over authority if he isn't able to hand it over directly. So, you know, look, there there are paths here, and I wouldn't be overly concerned about the operation of the country um, as much as I'm concerned about the seriousness of this pandemic and the lack of seriousness that the administration has had from the very beginning. And now, unfortunately, they're feeling the ramifications of that right there at home. Yeah. Would the 25th Amendment be invoked if Donald Trump, the president, if he is a move just to a hospital or would he have to be, you know, incapacitated on a ventilator in an ICU for that to happen? That's a really good question. And, you know, we're in, you know, new territory here. Mm -hmm. I think a combination of the medical professionals along with the vice president and the cabinet would have to make those decisions. But but look, we, we do know that many times people who have you know, been impacted with COVID, it impacts their ability to process 
clearly and think clearly. And there are many critical decisions um, that a president needs to make on a daily basis, and especially if somebody tries to take advantage of that weakness. So, I, you know, look, that's a great question, and it's something that it, that I hope we don't have to face. Um, and I only wish that the administration had been more truthful all along about things happening at the White House or the president's comments or his health, because I think that there is a, you know, uh, still a lack of trust of veracity coming out of the statements that are even coming out of the White House, especially given that they let him travel after they knew he was in the vicinity of someone who had COVID and let him travel to a campaign event. So, you know, look, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned and I'm especially concerned that we may not know exactly what's happening. No, I was going to ask you, I mean, this is a matter of national security now, now that the president has a COVID-19 and, you know, as you say, this is an administration that hasn't really been known for its uh, transparency at times. So, you're not confident, should the American people, should the world be confident that we'll be getting the stray goods from the White House in the days and weeks to come? I mean, we were just talking to a medical expert again last break who said the next seven to ten days are really critical here to see, uh, you know, whether or not uh, the symptoms the president's experiencing here uh, really turn bad. So it's a fine line. They want the, the White House is going to want to continue to provide information to give confidence to the American people that the the country is in safe hands, and yet yet at the same time, um, they have had these challenges, as you mentioned, in telling the truth. And so you have a whole group of reporters there. Remember, this did not come out as a result of a statement from the White House. This came out when a reporter disclosed that Hope Hicks, the advisor to the president, had tested positive. And then the entire press corps pressed the White House. And that's when the president disclosed last night that he had been tested and tested positive. So, you know, we're not forthcoming. Look at the difference between the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign or the Biden, you know, handling of this. His doctor put out the statement with regard to uh, his, you know, reaction to COVID being negative. That is the vice president, Biden, and that the president did it on, on a Fox News show and then tweeted it out himself that night. So, so look, we have a very different approach going on here. Yeah. Should that debate the other night have happened? I mean, if they knew that President Trump uh, had possible exposure that uh, Hope Hicks had uh, you know, had been undergoing testing or had not been uh, feeling well, was exhibiting uh, symptoms. I mean, should that debate have happened? Was there enough protection, do you think, there for Biden, Chris Wallace uh, and others? I mean, it appeared that they were more than six feet apart on the debate stage, but sometimes TV can be deceiving. Uh, I don't know if we really know. You know, what we don't know is what they knew and how much they knew and at the time. But look, we're forgetting a little bit. This is, you know, we're here at the end of the week. At the beginning of the week was the disclosure of his tax returns, that he paid like $750, and for 10 years he paid nothing. Then, of course, we had the debate where he wouldn't repudiate uh, you know, white national supremacy groups and at the same time made fun of the vice president, Biden, because of the mask he was wearing. And then the week goes on, his former campaign manager gets arrested and put into 
custody for, you know, uh, aberrant behavior and hope he's well. And then his wife, the tape of his wife making comments about being first lady and what her perspective was about Christmas and how she used really foul language talking about what she was doing as first lady. And now you have this after his staff member had had COVID and they didn't tell anybody. This is a really bad week for America. And it's a particularly bad week for Donald Trump and his team. I wish him well. I hope he gets better. Really do. Um, but I, our country needs a new change in leadership. And the only way to do that is if we vote. And Americans in Canada need to do that. If they go to votefromabroad.org. We need your vote. We need your vote. We need your vote. And all right, speaking of voting, uh, what do you think this all means for an election which was already an American election, uh, the likes of which uh, we'd never seen? You know, I I hope people realize the importance of this. I mean, I, it should be eminent, eminently clear now that you need to vote and you need to participate in this election. That being said, all week long, we continue to hear and get evidence that, you know, Republican governors, like in the state of Texas, um, were limiting drop boxes for ballots to one per county. Well, one county has 5 million people and one has 134 people. So we see the voter suppression that's taking place. And so people and then we have the mail issues that were going on because they dismantled all these sorting machines. Yeah, But what do you think the president's COVID diagnosis, uh, sorry to interrupt, what do you think that means to his campaigning in the election? Are we unlikely to see another uh, debate? Uh, I've seen some analysis that suggests that uh, President Trump will maybe only do some phone interviews with uh, Sean Hannity on uh, Fox News and uh, appear, you know, every other night and sound robust and uh, strong. Uh, What do you think this means for his campaign for the next couple of weeks? Well, if he follows the advice of the CDC and the infectious disease experts for at least the next two weeks, he can't. He has to isolate himself. And you know, he can't be out doing those campaign rallies that he was doing just this last week or had planned even for this weekend. He may be able to convert those to virtual. I think the vice president's going to have to pick up, his vice president's going to have to pick up a lot of the lift here. And I just hope he's well enough to get on the phone to have those phone conversations. Look, a lot of people who have this illness, you know, it's quite debilitating. This is a serious, serious illness, especially for somebody of his age and physical condition. This is something not to be taken lightly. He, he may not be able to do any campaigning, so let's see how this goes. All right. Bruce Heyman, the former U.S. ambassador to Canada. Bruce, appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Have an enjoyable and safe weekend. Thanks so much. Be well, everybody. Be healthy and wear a mask, wash your hands, social distance, and we'll hope to see you soon. Nobody might ever tour again is, is, is clearer definition. Who knows what the model will be going forward? And today, there isn't even a conversation about how that would take place. And that's me talking to you as a guy that plays all these buildings, talking to managers and agents, and there is no plan, none. So I'm confident they'll think of something with time. For me, drive-in movie theaters is not it. Uh, let's talk about this this new album, John, 2020. And, you know, we know inspiration can come from the most unusual places, but this song, Do What You Can, may, maybe the first time doing the dishes has inspired a hit. <laughs> Tell us how this came to be. 
It's true. There I was. Um, first of all, I'm an excellent dishwasher. If you ever want to have me over for dinner, I can't cook a lick, but I'll clean the heck out of your dishes. <laughs> we have three community restaurants and have had the first one for over a decade. And our whole model is based on volunteerism. If you can't afford um, to come to our fine restaurant, you volunteer for your, your meal. And that's empowering. But in COVID, we could no longer let any volunteers in. So I went back to what I used to do when we first opened, which was washing the dishes. And so Dorothea took a picture of me, unbeknownst to me, showed it to me at home that night and expected a caption. I think what she was looking for was honestly a time and a date that we would be open for our in-need population. But my lips and my brain connected and they went, if you can't do it, you do, you do what you can. The next day I woke up and I went, well, that's a big old Bon Jovi chorus. And so I wrote the song. And, um, you know, I was taken away from my livelihood. The album was being postponed. The tour was being canceled. And there I was washing dishes. You've also released a duet version of the song with your old pal, Jennifer Nattles. Now, of course, you guys won a Grammy with Who Says You Can't Go Home. What was it about this song that it was right for you to, to join forces again? You know, I took a shot. Um, the song was, was obviously on our record and um, the video's done. But I thought that the lyrical content, like I said, touched people from every walk of life. And in truth, radio formats are very limited and limited. So I thought this one really should be on country radio too. And the first and only choice I had was to ask Jen if she would do it again. And she jumped at the chance. And so we're going to put it out. And um, again, it's not partisan. It's not masks are good, masks are bad. You know, it's not that. It's do what you can. You know, we're in this together. And so Jenny did it. And it goes out to country radio too. With regards to American Reckoning, and we're talking about reflection, I know you you felt compelled to write that. Yeah, so so much so that I was willing to risk in this day and age, you know, this cancel culture, putting myself out there. You know, it'd be much easier to write a, a, another love song and try to, you know, have a hit song that way. But sometimes you have to say what's on your mind, and in that case... And it, it, you know, these are crazy times we're living in, but the movement, I believe, is, is starting to really resonate. And I was aware of white privilege. I was aware that I fill the bill. Um, and I'm aware that, you know, it, it's America's reckoning. And, and I hope it's, you know, it, it's going to really mean something this time. Now, we understand as well that you played this album fairly early on for a fairly famous friend, Sir Paul McCartney. And I'm wondering, John, what is that like? Because it can go one of two ways, I think. It can be the most exhilarating experience ever when you play your music for Sir Paul, or you can just be so stressed out about it. <laughs> what was it like? It was, it, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that I, I'll be brave enough to actually say I think of him as my friend. And that, that's quite a statement for a guy like me to make, as opposed to, yes, I've met him on several occasions. But we're neighbors, and we get to see each other in the summer times. And so last summer, I was so proud of a number of the songs on the record that I'd asked him to come over and hear them. And the two of us sat in my living room, and we did. 
the whole summer, the whole year goes by, I don't release the record. And this summer, we're together. And he says, I've heard about American Reckoning. Um, you know, let me hear it. And I said, yeah, but those great speakers are upstairs in my bedroom. And he goes, well, let's go here. And I go, this is like being 15 years old and going up in your room to listen to the Beatles records, except I got a Beatle. <laughs> you know, and I, and I played him American Reckoning and Do What You Can. And, you know, and to sit there with the greatest pop songwriter of all time ever, and one of the Beatles is surreal. But I was so proud of the record that I wasn't, um, I wasn't shy about it. I, I was really proud of the record. Don't you actually call him Beetle Paul? I do. <laughs> he thinks it's the weirdest thing, and I don't care. <laughs> My respect is too immense. I, I I don't call him Paul because that would you know think that it was too blase. Oh, there's Paul, and I'm too old to call him Mr. McCartney. So I call him Beetle Paul, and he's like, "Why do you do that?" I go, "Cause you're Paul McCartney. You're Paul." You know. <laughs> You know what, we've had so much time to reflect over the past uh, six, uh, seven uh, months, uh, all of us, and think back on our lives. And I'm wondering, what is it that you've reflected on? Because I am thinking there is probably nothing better than being John Bon Jovi in 1986, <laughs> when Slippery, When Wet come out. <laughs> is there a certain time in your life that you have been reflecting back on? Not necessarily a period, because I'm writing the book every day. But I think that you know, those were pretty magical times, and I've got my memories, <laughs> and that's where I'm going to keep them. But you know, they're, they're, that's every kid's fantasy is to to get a record deal and to, to to have a song that moves mountains, let alone slippery when wet. Um, you know, we've been blessed in a nearly forty year career. John Bon Jovi, the album 2020 is available right now. Uh, much like you hanging with uh, Sir Paul, Paul McCartney. This is kind of, I think, for Karen and I, our Beatles moment. So great to spend some time with you. Thank you so much, John. Oh, Jeff, thank you, Carolyn. Thank you, guys.